When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Defense with DC, we're going to talk about how fixing the fundamentals can help you create a top-performing defense. We'll talk a little bit about the red zone, and of course, we'll have our option tips, which include limiting what the offense can do. And joining me to discuss all of this is defensive coordinator for USFL Michigan Panthers, Dan Carroll. Dan, great to have you back for another week. Great to be back, Keith. It's a great week of football. Always, always. So... I got some stats I want to share with you here, Coach. And we've, we have a defense that's just doing an incredible job this year. And so here's their stat line and ranking. They're number one scoring defense at eight points per game. Number one in passing efficiency defense. Number two in red zone defense. Number three in rushing defense. Holding teams to 67.2 yards per game, 2.33 yards per rush number three in total defense at 227.8 yards per game they're number four on fourth down defense stop seven of eight attempts number six on first down defense only 74 allowed over the course of the season so far number six on third down defense the the offense is only converting at a 0.264 clip number six on turnovers gained 14 of them number seven on interceptions nine of them Number nine on passing yards allowed, only 167 per game. Number 12 in sacks, 3.5 per game. And number 17 tackles for loss, 7.2 yards per game. So looking at that stat line saying, wow, this is this defense is really performing. And I'll tell you, it's not Alabama. It's not Ohio State. It's not Georgia. A number of other teams we probably could list in there. The team that's performing that way this year is the, <laughs> it's the Illini defense at Illinois doing an incredible job. Yeah, I mean, they really are. If you go watch them, there is just a, a level of execution of fundamentals to their game that just jumps out at you. I uh, can remember a few years back before Brett Bielema became the head coach, having some crossover film w- with their defense. And you, you looked at some of their players and, and just the way they played defense, and, and it didn't scream anything to you that that was like a, a real Big Ten defense and a Big Ten team that was going to be competitive in the league. And you know, you fast forward a couple of years, I think this is just uh, Coach Billima and Ryan Walters, their second year there. And, and you know, before I even go into the defense, to, to get all that, it takes a consorted team effort. I think that you got to understand how team football works to understand to be the number one scoring defense and, you know, number one pass efficiency and three in rushing. Those are things that, that take a true team effort to do that. And that's a commitment from the offensive side and special teams as well. So don't, don't let that get lost in the numbers anywhere. But they have done such a good job. I think that if you talk to them as coaches, probably they would tell you from a roster standpoint and a recruiting standpoint, they're probably not where they're ready to be yet or where they want to be yet. But it takes time to develop players. It takes time to, to recruit and develop guys when you're not recruiting the top 300 players. And, and, and those things are going to take time. But what you can do immediately, what you can do now, 
right? You can fix the fundamentals and the execution of your team. I think that's so important. I, I mean, I've worked at places where it's been really hard to, to recruit or, you know, you weren't getting the best players in your conference and, or, you know, you were not even at like UMass, we weren't even in a conference, right? So sometimes it's hard to recruit and get the, get the guys in there. But the thing you can do now is you can execute at a high level and you can, you can be a very fundamentally sound football team. And I think when you watch Illinois, that you see just a level of fundamentals, especially from the D-line and from the secondary, just a level of fundamentals that has really increased their uh, ability to have success. And, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I watch a ton of film where fundamentals really jump out at you. So it's showing up on the tape because it is something that just jumps out. And that's not something that usually jumps out, right? It usually jumps out as maybe some of the speed of the players or how well they tackle in space is something that usually pops on tape or things like that, that, uh, you see, and you're like, wow, that, that's that's different. But just just the fundamentals of them. I go back to watch the Wisconsin game, and you can just see they're getting a lot of zone like zone lead type plays from Wisconsin, especially early in the game. And you know those things can be hard. They're in the tight front. Yeah, I've been in the tight front with the four eyes quite often, and you know they shade their nose a little bit. But those four eyes not getting reached on the backside of some of those plays and to be able to play, I believe they're playing it as a two keys as a visual key pressure key off the guard and to be able to play back into the guard and just over and over and over and not get cut out of gaps and not get split in the run game. I thought just as you watch them really, really uh, impressive D line play. Yeah. In that regard. Definitely. And you've seen it though, across all levels of their defense that they're doing some good things that you like. Yeah, I mean, I think they're really good at man coverage. I think especially their slot man techniques, they're really good. And, and they're showing a lot of one-hot. Their, their safety is going to be really deep in the post. They have the ability to get to a, uh, we'll talk about in a second, kind of like a two-high out of one-high. And we'll kind of talk about this guy in a second. But just really impressed just watching them in slot man coverage, how their guys move their feet. They play a catch technique. They get their hands on the slots. That's obviously that's the uh, the – number one advantage you have in college football is you can hit those guys as long as the ball's not in the air. You know, in, in pro rules, we, we were like sitting ducks playing slot, man. But those guys, uh, they do a great job getting their hands on them, great job maintaining leverage, a great job moving laterally. I, I think that that's a big part of their pass efficiency defense because they play a fair amount of man on first and second down, probably more than you see most tight front teams do. But just, just really good, really sound, really fundamental. Uh, they don't have a lot of wasted movement. It's uh, it's just, it's fun to watch because they don't get out of position a lot. You mentioned the man coverage, but I know you also saw them playing some two trap, and you like the way that they're doing that as well. Yeah, we've talked on here before, and myself included, as as mostly a split safety defense. That a lot of people launch their one high looks from too high. You know, they, we had talked on here about how Cody Alexander talked about it with the uh, with the Chargers and with kind of the Fangio tree, and you know, a lot of too high people. That's kind of what our goal is, but it's interesting how Illinois will be in so much one high guy deep in the post, deep in the post. And then you'll see on the snap, push out the nickel or whoever's dropped over to, it could be a safety at times, I think, but whoever's dropped over to pushes to the deep half to the field. And then the corner plays a trap technique. So uh, they, uh, they had jumped a, a three by one player screen against Indiana, smoked that with one. Uh, Indiana actually got them later on, on that same coverage. But it's interesting to see somebody play one high and get to two high from it. That's not normally w- what you see. And I think that is a great change up for people that play a lot of one high but want to mix in two high because 
what happens, I think, if you're just a straight cover three team, cover three team, and you don't have a way to do this three or man, however you got it, and you got a guy deep in the post, if you don't really have a way to, to show this, then you're, the picture between one high and two high becomes very obvious. It becomes very obvious for quarterbacks and for other teams. So I think it's a creative way. It's not something you see very often, but it's a creative way to get to a two high structure from one high. And I think that that's a drawback that people usually have being a, a straight one high team is, is when you want to get into some cover two or you want to change the picture for the quarterback, you have to show your hand to do that. And, and they're able to, you know, obviously, like I said, Indiana hit them on one on a post ball, but they're able to show one high and get to their two high and not have to you know, show it pre-snap. So I think that it, it's a, it's a really good, really good change up for people that are really one high operations, but you know, just, just to, I think that some of the fundamentals, some of the things that they're doing and they get a little bit exotic on third down too. And I think that's really good. You know, you play really sound fundamental defense on first and second down and kind of get exotic on third down when you get third and longs and you pressure the quarterback, like, that's great defense, right? That's uh, as told you for sure. That's what I call you know you're doing God's work on defense right there. But the big point of to me of Illinois when you watch them is just how far they've come in two years. With again, I doubt that they would say they've really changed the roster that much. Maybe some. I don't know. I mean, I, I, whatever the coaches would say, but I, I think that they would tell you that the probably the biggest difference is, and this is for me and seeing them in crossover film before when I was, you know, was coaching college and, and to now is just the fundamental, fundamentally sound, how aggressive they play and just that level of execution that they have that, you know, I didn't think was there when I'd seen them previously. So just, if you want to improve your team, a lot of times the roster management and the roster development is extremely important and maybe the most important thing, but, and you can start right now by, by developing the fundamentals and the execution. Yeah, and I had the opportunity to moderate a clinic, Illinois High School Football Coaches Association, past December, and they had the entire Illinois staff there, and every single one of their defensive staff presented on, uh, d- defensive position coaches presented on uh, the fundamentals that they teach their position. So if you're looking for what these guys do to teach it, I think there's some great stuff there. Also included in this uh, this bundle of, of clinic talks, there's six of them. It starts with really the head coach, right? So Brett Bielema has a, a clinic talk he called Football 101, and he really covers all parts of the game and how they focus on the fundamentals. So obviously it's starting with him. And then one of the most interesting talks I saw this past offseason, one I just never saw this topic before, was defensive coordinator Ryan Walters talking about second down the most forgotten down and how they approach that I think it it definitely is is something to think about right you want to the best way to to win third down is is to not give them a lot of those short yarded situations so winning second down becomes important so all of those are available I'll put a link to those in the show notes and moving on into our situational discussion today the focus is on the red zone and really three things that you feel are really important in the red zone. Simply put the number one thing, don't let them run it in. I know it's easier said than done, but you got to build your red zone, especially, you know, I really speak about low red more than anything. So I'm saying like 12 and in, you know, and then at some point it becomes goal line when people want to get big, but you know, get 22 or whatever out there, but don't let them run it in. Whatever the structure you have that, that you can stop the run, that you can keep a zone play from running in you know, if they have some creative run that they're willing to run down there and risk a, a big loss or like reverse this, things like that, you know, th- that's one thing. But 
But if you just line up and just let them run a zone play in, man, you, you really want to be in whatever structure you can be in. Whether, whether you got to excel out and be in like a 6-2 or you got to be in a bear, like don't let them run it in. Make them throw the ball in. You know, and then how do we not let them run it? Like, got to have great edges, right? And when you set the edge, when you force the ball in the red zone, you've got to make a, a strong commitment and teach to, just to getting to ball depth, whether it's poolers, you know, whether it's a fullback, whether it's a tight end, you got to get the ball depth. And where this can sometimes be an issue is a lot of times what we'll have is for edge centers when we get into like heavier fronts, we get into six two fronts, or we get into bare fronts some of those edge setters are safeties, you know, and then, you know, you start getting more tight ends in there, you get two or three tight ends in the game. And then inevitably one of those edge setters is going to be a corner, you know, sometimes out and you're able to get them out or whatever, but you get 22, you're able to sub in for an extra backer or however you do it. But there's going to be guys in situations in the low red in the run game that they're not normally in and teaching them and get them to understand how to set the edge at ball depth, how to make sure that the ball can't circle the defense. The yards down there are too valuable. So, you know, if you're on first and second down and you got a guy that sets a pretty good edge and the ball bows around him and goes for two yards, all right, nobody's losing their mind over second and eight. But when that happens on the four-yard line, and now it's second and goal from the two, right, now we're losing our mind. Right? How did that happen? Why did we let that happen? So I think it's extremely important to, to really coach those guys, those safeties and those corners that are going to be down in the run fit, in situations that they're not normally in, right? It's going to be extremely important to teach those guys how to set edges, how to do that, set those edges deep and constrict running lanes. Because it really, it really, there's too many times you see that stuff happen in, in, the, in the low red. And it's always on some secondary player who really probably has not in that situation very often. So keep in mind who you're putting in those situations. The second thing would be play the pass game inside out. Make the ball go to the pylon. Make the throws go to the pylon. I think that every one of us has seen a, a wide open fullback, a wide open tight end in the flat, and they can't get the ball completed. It's not as high a percentage throw as you think in the, in the low red. So make the ball go to the sideline. Make it go to the sideline. Play the pass game inside out. However you do that, you know, going back to Illinois, they were playing some uh, – they get down inside the five. They're playing some drop eight or really inside the eight. They're playing some drop eight where it's like the, you know, I think maybe seven across zone and the goal line or goal line seven, people might call it. They're really playing like goal line eight. Corners are going front pylon to back pylon and everybody else is spread out. And it's just hard to throw into. It's hard to throw into. When people are clustered in the middle of the field, it is hard to throw into. You got to understand the ball has to go horizontal now. They don't have vertical depth. They don't have vertical depth. They're going to throw in the dead back of the end zone. Those are very low percentage throws. They don't have vertical depth to run their routes. They're going to run the ball horizontally, or they're going to throw the ball horizontally, run crossing routes. We have to have great vision and do not let them throw the ball in the middle of the field. Do not let them throw the ball. However you build your, uh, your red zone coverages, however you do that, make sure that you have enough people in the middle of the field when they're going to throw the ball, that the ball's got to go sideways. Okay. And then on top of that, if you're going to get into heavy fronts and, and things that are going to stop the run, you've got to have all of your red zone bunch combinations worked out. Right. I've played a lot of man in the low red. I get every bunch route, every stack, every motion to bunch, every shift to bunch, every line everybody up in the backfield, burst out to a bunch in a stack and empty. 
I've seen all of that because we play so much man there. There's, you know, a lot of offensive coordinators are sitting there. They don't see as much man now as they may have used to. They're sitting there, oh, we know we're going to get man down there. They have they have a whole book uh, of the bunches and stacks you get, and you got to be ready to play them. And, and conceptually, this is goes back to kind of being out in front of what's coming next, but conceptually, what are you getting? What are the things that they are showing on the tape that they're going to tweak and alter? You see a ton of, you saw it last night, Chiefs, Kelsey caught one. You see one out, one in, out of the bunch, and the third guy starts out, and then he trails the in route, right? Uh, there's however however combination they can do that, that's what's coming, right? So when you get in man situations or in zone situations, zone's typically a little easier, but if you're in man and you're getting big in the front, you've got to have a plan to play the trails, right? The trail in and trail out, right? Two out, and one guy trails it. Two in, and the guy trails it. What happens sometimes is you get a three-man bunch, and you're with three matching over top of it. You got one guy outside the bunch, one guy inside the bunch, one guy pointing the bunch. Well, if they go double in, the guy outside the bunch, he's got so much space to, to cover. So you have to have some creative ways. It's just not normal point. You know, you take the point, and we in and out the back too. That that's one way. And that can be beneficial, but you got to understand that they're going to stress one side. They're going to overload one side down there. So it's either double outs or double ends. You've got to be prepared for that. So, and then you got to be able to get to it off motions. Working that stuff down there is extremely important because you see it every week. You see it every single game. I mean, um, you go back to the Patriots and the Seahawks in the, in the Super Bowl and one of the most controversial play calls maybe of my lifetime, but. You know, everybody talks about that play and they should have gave it to this guy or that guy. I'll I'll go to my grave saying it was a good play call. It just was better executed by the Patriots. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was a pick play on a two-man stack, right? They, they motioned to a stack. They ran a little pick play. The guy recognized it and jumped it. Right? They were ahead of what was coming. I know that's uh, – if anybody's ever watched it, there's an unbelievable – like for a coach, it's unbelievable. For the average person, it's probably whatever. But it's an unbelievable little uh, – I guess short documentary about how they practice that play and the Patriots, how they, how they figure, you know, it was a play that, that didn't show very often. They're like, Hey, we need to, we need to practice this. We need to rep it. And, you know, about how, how, how all that came together, but it's so important again, to be out in front of that stuff, but just, you know, you're going to get all those things if you're in man down there. So you've got to be ready for that. So play the pass game inside out, be ready for any stack and bunch combinations you can get in the creative ways that they're going to get to those stacks and bunches. And then the last thing I'd say is always account for the quarterback. You know, he's always a runner, whether it's off drop back and he scrambles, whether they're designing the runs, always account for the quarterback. You know, if you're a, a one high operation, now maybe it's time to put the post player on the quarterback, maybe it's time to bring him in the box. So if you're a quarters type operation, typically you probably have somebody generally accounting for the quarterback. So uh, just make sure you don't lose that in the red zone because too many people have been beat, myself included, even on third down. You know, the games you run, the rush lanes that you maintain have to be designed to keep the quarterback in the pocket. I got um, – we lost uh, a game in, in overtime against New Orleans this year. We were in bear, which if you rush bear, you should probably have the best rush lanes you're ever going to have the whole thing should be collapsed with five. I mean, you could bring six and have better rush lanes, but the whole thing should be collapsed. And 
you know, we had a, a three technique spin out that when he wasn't supposed to, and the quarterback, we lost the game. Quarterback goes right through the B gap and puts it in the end zone, and that's it. And the, the overtime in um, USFL is a shootout style. If anybody, nobody, maybe familiar, like two or three USFL games that went to overtime, but, but we lost the game. We lost the game because of that. And well, I wouldn't say because of that, but that was the play that was the end of the game. And so, like, with those rush lanes keeping the quarterback, and he wasn't a quarterback that could really run. He was not a threat to run. He was actually kind of injured, like a hip injury. So he hobbled into the end zone because we got out of a rush lane. So just the quarterback can always beat you down there running the ball. I don't care how fast, how slow, how athletic, either design runs or getting out of the pocket. So just make sure you're conscious of the quarterback. The games you're calling and whether you spy them, whether you got coverage guys that you – you know, underneath coverage guys that, that drop back and, and, and match his movement, whatever you do, but always account for the quarterback. So don't let him run it in best you can. Okay. Make sure you're coaching those secondary players to force the ball, get in the ball depth. The next one, I would say play the pass game inside out and make the ball go to the pylons, front pylon, back pylon. Do not let them get easy ones in the middle. Okay. And then that goes back into working out all the bunches and stacks and then always account for the quarterback. As a drop back passer, as a and as a Q run design Q run, and to me, you do those three things, you typically got a shot to play pretty good red zone defense. Well, I know you mentioned the Bear defense there, and that leads us into our option tips for the week. And I know that's one of the things you saw uh, in some of the games this past week, or in one of the games this past week, uh, someone playing Bear, and you like what that does and what it can do to help the defense. Tulsa played some Bear against Navy. I think that does a couple things to help you. I've uh, been a part of playing some bear here and there versus it. Uh, the first thing is it changes what the offense is willing to do. I think the ball, it, it limits their place a little bit. The ball is going to go on the perimeter now. You're going to get their variations of load option. You're going to get rocket toss. You're going to get sweet plays. You might get some traps still, but not as many. Now you're going to get your zone dive a little bit still with the fullback. But I think the big things it does is, now, it dictates a little bit where the ball is going to go. You don't see as much midline, you know, just because there's not as much space. Midline to a three technique is great. Midline to a three technique with a zero, not as good. Okay, so they go back to a little more zone dive and just straight dive blocking man-on-man uh, -man is what Navy did. And then the ball was winding back, and, and it actually was pretty good for him because the, the backside backer Tulsa kind of over-pursued once and the ball squirted out on the backside A-gap for, I guess – just like a 20-some-yard touchdown, maybe a little longer. But Bear is generally a good answer if, right, if you can get edges and force the perimeter plays, right? That's extremely important in Bear. The other thing I like for Bear is it gives you an on-the-ball C-gap defender, okay? That makes the slot keys easier for the safeties. So if you're playing too high with it, an on-the-ball C-gap defender makes the slot keys easier for the safeties. So once, again, we talked about this last week, the slot blocks an on-the-ball C-gap defender, you're not getting an option play now. It's going to be dive to the fullback. It's going to be quarterback sweep. It's going to be something like that, okay? So it's something you've got to be alert for, okay? So you get in Barry, you get that on the ball, see gap defender. Right? Like four down gives that to you too, but Barry, Barry gives it to you. So that's, those are two things I like about Barry. It limits the plays they're going to give you, and it gives you an on the ball, see gap defender to keep, clean up the slot keys for the safety. The next thing I would say that you noticed in that game was the just the speed that the – Slots of Navy were playing with versus speed of the safeties at Tulsa. The early in the game, especially the Tulsa safeties were not triggering quite as fast as you need them to when you're talking about forcing the play. You think about 
when they run option and you're in too high and you're playing it kind of traditionally how people play it, you're saying that a guy 10 yards, sometimes 11 yards off the ball is the force player of the defense. And he's got to trigger so fast and take such a, a perfect angle to not end up being a fading force that ends up outside the numbers or, you know, on the sideline. So what happens, I think, is you get into practice and obviously, as everybody understands, your scout team is not going to run the plays as fast or even close to as fast as Navy and Army and Air Force are going to run the plays. So you, you maybe get a false sense of security uh, using, those safe, using those high safeties as force players, and, and the game shows up, and it's not quite, as, not quite what you thought it was going to be based on practice. And I've been in that situation. It's a bad feeling, it's a bad feeling on the sideline. Right? It takes a lot of in-game coaching. It takes a lot of in-game coaching. It takes a great uh, communication from the press box. It takes a lot of in-game coaching to make sure that we're coaching really hard on the sideline to get the safeties, pulling the trigger, pulling the pin, getting down, like slot arcs to them, getting vertical, getting down there, getting the edge set, and restricting the running lanes. Right? If, you can, if you can constrict the lanes, then the backside safety, the backside pursuit that's coming over for the, to actually get the pitch on the ground, right, those guys have a shot. But when you can't do that, when you hesitate, when you're going at a wide angle to set the edge, the ball is the ball is going through there, right? And, you, and you're putting those guys in in, uh, in harm's way. You know, the one thing about the option that you notice, whoever's supposed to tackle it ends up tackling it, usually. So if the backside safety is supposed to be the guy that's going to hit the ball in the alley, well, if you don't constrict the lane, he's still going to hit it. He's going to hit it for an 11-yard gain. If you do constrict it, he's got a good chance to hit it for a two-yard gain. So it becomes a, how that force player is able to, to edge it up to get the backside guys to hit it because that's what it is. Like they're still going to be the person to hit it because when the ball is going lateral and everybody's running lateral, there's usually not a ton of blocks getting beat. So we got to, we got to understand that part and just make sure we're coaching so hard to, to get those guys triggering when you're too high. Like you got to trigger, trigger and get edges set and constrict the lanes. And the last thing I'd say in any defense, in any structure, any front structure, any coverage structure that you're playing against it, you always want a chase player on the backside. So when option plays go away, you want a backside player to check, check for any puller. But then when he goes to chase, he chases through the smoke of the slot that left. Right? So the slot leaves. He wants to check, check any option coming back or anything quick, but chase through the smoke of the slot who left because that gives you a chance to play any reverse. It gives you a chance to fight for loose balls that end up on the ground because inevitably they're going to pitch one that is not going to make it. Right? It's going to get on the ground. It's going to get dropped by the pitch slot back, whatever it is. Right? One will happen at least every other game. These teams, they're going to do that. It's hard. There's a lot of ball handling that goes into it. They're going to make a mistake. But if you don't chase through the smoke of the slot, then you're typically not going to be in position to get it. It's going to be somebody on the front side. So as you play that backside end or it's an outside backer or it's a backside DN, whatever it is, he steps down, he sees, you know, because you don't want to just go right now because you always have the ability to get counter option back or some type of trap back. So you check, check, none of that's coming. Now you're going to run through the smoke of the slot, right, not just chase like through the through the dive or any of that. Right? Run through the smoke of the slot that left you because it puts you in position to fight for the loose balls. And like we talked about, the turnovers are so important. If you can get two or three of those, you got a chance. So the three things you learn from that game, Bears' great answer, limits the plays they, they can run, and it gives you a C-gap presence to cleans up the slot keys for safeties 
speed of the motions versus speed of your safety's playing. Got to make sure in practice we're emphasizing that and teaching those guys to understand, that, look, it's going to be so much faster in the game. We got to trigger as fast as we possibly can. It takes great in-game coaching to make sure that the guys are getting better as the game goes. And then when you have a chase player, make sure he check, check things coming back, but then runs through the smoke of the slot who left him and um, he'll end up being in position to fight for those balls. Coach, another great job preparing those ideas for this week. And, you know, it's it's a, a Tuesday when we're recording this. We're only a, a couple days away from this whole thing starting over again and watching some great football. So I know I look forward to it and look forward to these discussions every week, and I appreciate you taking the time to put this together for us. Yeah, Keith, thanks for having me on.